Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Hey, I believe God is doing something in our church, uh, at Love City Church, uh, and I, you know, I've been doing a lot of study on bamboo plants. And uh, how many of you know anything about a bamboo plant? Anybody put your hand in the air if you're like an expert in bamboo? Come on, an expert in bamboo. Well, I've been doing some bamboo plant research, and there's something incredible about bamboo, is that bamboo is the strongest plant in the world. It's as tough as steel. It's used in, all, uh, in a lot of medicinal purposes as the ointment in bamboo is used in a lot of, uh, for healing purposes. It's also the fastest growing plant uh, on the planet, 35 inches a day. So as you stand and look at a bamboo plant, you're, a blue bamboo plant blah, 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 you're actually watching the bamboo plant grow. But in order for a bamboo, uh, oh Lord, in order for the bee plant <laughs> to be all that it needs to be, it has to grow down for three years. It has to go down, 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 down. And we've been going down, 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 down. And I believe the Lord's up to something. And I want you to know prophetically before we start today, um, sometimes when you look at a bamboo plant, if you look at a picture of one being planted, it's on soil. And if you walk outside and say, where's my fruit? Or where's the, the evidence? Where's the, this fastest growing plant? Well, it's in the soil for three years. And I want to say that prophetically to you this morning, that you know, sometimes uh, when you serve the Lord, and as we talk about power of routine, as you give yourself to the things the Lord's give you to give yourself to, sometimes you don't see the fruit right away. But you see the bamboo's going down, and God is going to do something in your life. And that's why we're doing this series, Power of Routine, to talk about how we just keep doing the work and keep serving the Lord, and the rest is up to Him. Amen? Amen. Well, we have the privilege today of having my close friend, uh, closest friend in ministry, one of the elders at our church. Before we started the church, I was driving in the car, dropping library books off, and I called my friend Brett, and I said, man, what about this, 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 this? He goes, you need to not do that. Try this. Don't do this. Try that. And from that conversation was when we made the final decision to start Love City Church. And uh, so this man is not only uh, my peer, but he's also someone I look up to and honor and revere, somebody who is uh, building an amazing church. They now have how many services do you have on Sunday? Four services on Sunday, two campuses. And they're, uh, you know, looking to acquire a building. They've been working hard for uh, five, five and a half years or so. And God is starting to, they're starting to see the 30, 35 and a half inches a day. God is moving uh, exponentially at Engage City Church. And so he's, I cast him to come today to bring some infusion of life into you. He's a fantastic preacher. He's a vision speaker. And today the focus is the power of routine in the area of vision for your life. And so would you put your hands together and welcome Pastor Brett as he comes. Come on, put your hands together. Well, hey, it, whoa, my God, he's here. It's okay. By the end of my talk, I, my mic's going to end up down here at some point. I just get distracted. So then I'm like, hey, guys, so it's totally fine. And sound guys are like, put the mic on your face. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. Anyways, uh, as Pastor Ryan mentioned, my name is Brett uh, from Edmonton, just outside of Edmonton, Spruce Grove. I know, like, we've got some past... But let's just put it to rest right now. We have more Stanley Cups, so we know where that's at. And <laughs> Connor McDavid, I mean, Johnny Gaudreau showed what he truly is. 
Not much in the playoffs. Anyways, I'm really building rapport and just connecting on deep, deep levels. They're like, wow, we hate this guy so much. Uh, and now I'm going to speak to you from the Word of God. Uh, no, it is, uh, we love Pastor Ron and Stephanie, and we love Love City Church. And I'm so, I know sometimes when you're in the monotony of things and you're just coming to church week after week, you know, you're like, ah, is, are things moving forward? Can I tell you? Things are moving forward here. And because I've been here, I've been on the ride, you know, and I've been on the ride uh, on the periphery. And, I, you know, and that one time I randomly walked into team night at the end. Uh, so, like, you know, I've been on the ride and I mean, it looks different. It feels different. There's, you know, there's movement and there's trajectory here. And sometimes in the rhythm and in the routine, uh, talking about power of routine, you can lose the power of the moment. Right. Because it's just, we just do it, and we're just doing our thing, and we're just showing up, and we got stuff to set up, and we got stuff to tear down. But can I tell you, it's all worth it because God is doing something right here. And if you can't see it, it's because you're locked into the routine. And we want to harness the power of the routine, but not become a slave to the routine. We don't want to become a slave to the monotony. We don't want to get trapped in that rhythm. So I just, I'm here today to just to, to drop a few thoughts on you, bring some love from Edmonton and Spruce Grove and Stony Plain, and... Uh, and man, I'm just so excited uh, to be here, and we love you. Uh, let's, let's jump into the Bible. We're going to jo Jonah on. chapter 1. Old Testament. Turn to somebody and say, OT. That's right. We're going OT, Old Testament, right now. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. It's like, Lord, that sounds like a great job. I'm just going to go and tell people that you're going to burn them to the ground. That's, that sounds amazing. To be honest, Jonah did think it was amazing. <clears throat> you know, we, we're familiar, and if you've been around church, you're familiar, familiar with Jonah because he was in the whale and he got spit up onto the beach and, you know, oh, that story's so nice. But the, the backstory here is the reason why God was sending Jonah is because Jonah had a career as a wartime prophet. That was Jonah's career. He had another major prophecy. We actually find it uh, in 2 Kings, 2 Kings 14. Uh, Jeroboam II uh, recovered the territories of Israel between Label Hamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. And you're like, oh, okay, what is I don't know what that means. I'll, I'll paint the context for you. Jonah's career was simply to hear from God and to tell his boss, King Jeroboam II, when it was time to go to war. And he had a reputation that when he prophesied that it was time to go to war, that they would crush it. They would take ground, they would take territory, they would take cities, they would conquer. That was his reputation. When God... Now, I mean, you can get a little ego maybe going. You're like, listen, when I speak, people about to drop. <laughs> Bodies hit the ground when I prophesy. That's who he is. It's his identity. Now, of note, Jeroboam II actually brought Israel into an era of great prosperity. In fact, it was the most prosperous time since King Solomon. So everyone's making money. It's like an oil boom all over again. Everyone's making the most amount of money that they were making, right? Like jobs were available, people were happy, people were going out to eat at restaurants, drinking really expensive coffee at the Calgary Farmer's Market. They were just doing all the things that they loved to do because life was good. The only problem was Jeroboam II was ridiculously evil and corrupt. He did not walk with God. 
And so God says to Jonah, hey, I want you to go pronounce judgment on Nineveh, the great city of Nineveh. And when you read chapter 1, it doesn't make sense. This is what he did in verse 3. Knowing what he did for a job, it doesn't make sense. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He brought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. It's amazing how somebody who's got an incredible spiritual gift can know so little about God. Hey, I'm going to get on a ship and escape God. (laughs) Bro, how do you prophesy the heart of God when you don't know who he is? Unless he did. I want you to fast forward with me to the end of Jonah chapter 3, moving into Jonah chapter 4. We're just going through the whole book of Jonah here in a quick moment. Jonah shows up finally after the whale. For those of you who don't know, Jonah gets on the ship, tries to get away from God. Big storm. Those days, they were like, oh, the gods are causing this storm. They identified that it was Jonah. He said it was me. They cast some lots. They figured it out. They threw him overboard. Storm stop. He gets eaten by what I'm believing to be sperm whale. Uh, you know, <laughs> something. Probably not a shark, probably a whale. Um, and he lives inside there in that giant, you know, place and then gets spit out onto a beach. This is significant because the gods of Assyria had this like water god. So there's a little extra emphasis when a guy walks out of the ocean, spit up on the beach by a whale, and he brings a message from God. So there's a recalibration. It's like God's like, listen, I can use the things that you think you know, and then I'm going to show you who I am. So Jonah walks out. He's like, you're all going to (laughs) die. And they're like, oh, man. Like, we got to do something about this. The king comes off his throne, which if you can't get the significance of that right there, is startling. The king comes off his throne, tears his clothes, and everyone goes on a fast. Everyone starts fasting. Anyone do a fast? Anyone fast here? Like fast and pray three days? These guys go on extended fast, but they take it to another level. They're like, listen, we're just not fasting as adults. We're fasting as kids. You're like, that's not okay. And then they're like, we're also, our animals are fasting. And I'm like, praise God, don't feed the cat. Like, we've got enough, you know? Like, let, let them go. You know, you need, a trans, you need a breakthrough in your life? Stop feeding the cat for a while. Just see. <laughs> Tough crowd. Okay, Jonah, chapter 3, <laughs> verse 10. That's why Miles is here. Uh, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. He's like, Wow. The king slid off the throne so that the true king could become the king of this kingdom. Everyone changed their heart. Everyone turned towards God. And he just, he just stopped. He's like, I'm not going to light them up in fire. But continue with me. This is, this is now the behind the scenes of why Jonah went the other way. Uh, John, Jonah chapter 4. The change of plans greatly upset Jonah. He became very angry and he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't Now, we didn't know this in scripture until Jonah 4, but this is what's happening in the midst of his decision in Jonah 1. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. 
I know that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now. Drama. <laughs> Lord, I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. I'd rather be dead than alive. I'd rather be dead than alive if my reputation is tarnished because, God, don't you know that I have a reputation that when I talk, people die. I can't let people know. I cannot let Jeroboam II know that I'm here to prophesy and people aren't dying, that he doesn't get to take this crown. This is my ego. This is my identity. God, this is my job. You're going to ruin my job. So the Lord says, it's already up there, punchline. Is it right for you to be angry about this? Like, it, is it really okay for you to be mad about this? Is it really? <laughs> Jonah, for a moment, there's literally 120,000 people in this city. People who have turned their hearts toward me. Is it okay for your ego to get in the way of my unfailing love, mercy. Is it okay that you're mad that I'm merciful and compassionate? Is it okay that you're angry because I'm filled with unfailing love? Is it actually okay that your preference matters more than these people? Is it okay, is it okay to be angry about this? Is, there, is, it, is it really all right? Today I want to talk about what I'm calling the spirit of Jonah. And I believe that it is a word specifically for each and every one of us in our lives that each one of us carries at some level the spirit of Jonah. This thing within us that says, you know what matters most is my preference, my job, in my reputation. Something inside me that says, you know what, God, you know what's more important than those people over there, that 120,000, those, those people. What's the population of Calgary? 1.1 million, like roughly general, 2 million? 1.2 in the, in the general area. God, you know what's more important than 1.2 million people? That we, pay, that we uh, play my prophetic song on a Sunday. Because that's my favorite jam, God. And I can't get into your presence unless we sing. I exalt thee. I mean, that is my favorite jam. But I exalt thee. And it does come down. <laughs> okay, bad example. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Unless we take it all the way back, the glory does not come, God. He goes, you know what's more important than your preference is us reaching these people. That's, that's, what's more, that's what's actually more important than your opinion. You know what's more important than your opinion? Is the fact that God loves them so much. And that, that, that here's the crazy, this is what's crazy to me about Jonah in this moment. He actually knows that God is slow to anger, full of mercy and compassion, and he's so mad about it. You know, I'm like, every day, his mercies are new every morning. <laughs> I'm like quoting lamentations to myself. His mercies are new every morning. And Jonah's like, man, that God's a jerk. Unfailing love. It's got to be consequences, God. 
Can I tell you, I lived most of my life as a consequence guy. I was like, I'm super pumped about consequences. Early, early in like pastoring, I've been pastoring for 11 years now, 12 actually, sorry. Uh, I loved it when like people like, I was a worship pastor to start. So now in reflection, it's not good. But back in the day, I was like, you cross one line on my expectation list, you're done. You're over. How, can you, how could you in good conscience stand on this stage if you will do that thing? And I'm like, at some point, I don't know, well, I can tell you what happened. God got a hold of this stony, broken heart. You know, and Ezekiel, he talks, if you give me your heart, I'll take this heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. That's what happened. And I realized that it wasn't about me superimposing my consequence. It was about understanding the true heart of God, that he is compassionate, full of mercy and unfailing love. And it's not my job to force an outcome on somebody. It's my job to walk with somebody and point them in the direction of Jesus. And if they could simply hear the voice of God for himself, they would hear that voice and they would understand that at one step at a time, God is leading them into a brighter future. And there's moments where they stumble and they trip. But if you're following Jesus one step at a time, though I may stumble, I will not fall for the righteous hand of the Lord upholds. It's one step at a time. One step at a time. So then how do we contend for our city? Which feels like a big statement, but there's city in the name of the church. So, I mean, we got to talk about. See, we can make it simpler. How do I contend for my neighborhood? How do I contend for my neighbor? How do I, how do I contend for uh, the person at the grocery store that I like? And how do I contend for the person at the grocery store that I don't like? I do it first by understanding how much God loves them. And I use my life, as Pastor Ryan was sharing earlier, as an example. If he could use this hot mess... <laughs> like... The fact that I'm standing before you is literally a testament to the grace of God. That's it. So if he could use this and this bad attitude that wanted to condemn people and crush people for the behaviors, well, I did whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, however I wanted, but I had a righteousness about me, which was really just code word for spiritual ego. And a pride that drove people away that didn't drive people to Jesus. If God can use this, then he can use and save anybody. <laughs> the question is, am I willing to get out of the way and then get in the game? And it's the actual same thing. Because the thing that's stopping me from getting in the game is the fact that I refuse to get out of the way. I'm like, God... I'm only going to play this position. I'm only going to do this thing. I'm going to serve on my terms in this way. I'm going to prioritize these things. And these are the only thing that matters. And the, you know what the thing is? When we're left to our own devices, the only thing that we prioritize that matters is the things that we like, not the things that God loves. Which means we prioritize our own lives and we don't care about the things that, that God cares deeply about, which is your neighbor and your friend. Like, can I just ask you a question? And I'll be really honest. I have, I'm in a little bit of a battle with my one neighbor, so I just need to say that out loud first. Because they always play their music with a sub at 11 p.m. 
uh, right when my kids are sleeping, and the sub is right beside my kids' bedroom. So my wife is having a worse time than I am. I've come to peace with it. I'm like, they're not waking up. It's fine. My wife's like, I'm going to kill them. <laughs> Which, if you know her, is like, I don't think that that's an accurate representation. Oh, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know what I'm dealing with. Um, you come in between a, a mama bear and her cubs, she will kill you. And she wants to kill our neighbor. So I'm just going to put that out first. But do you know your neighbor's name? Like right now, if I was to ask you, on, house on the left, who's your neighbor? Oh, you, we're answering. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> way to heap condemnation on those who don't. Uh, neighbor on the right, do you know their name? Neighbor across the street, do you know their name? Maybe, kind of, we'll figure it out. And I could, at this point, I just want to give you a little secret. You could say any name and I'll believe you. <laughs> You're like, yeah, Jake. Bro, you don't have a Jake that lives in your neighborhood. I, I know, but <laughs> prophetically, I just felt it come. Uh, when you were getting your house or your condo or wherever you live, I don't know if you did this, but we were, like, we were, we were praying, God, we, we need a a miracle to get our house like we moved to start the church in spruce grove we didn't have a big budget we had well really low budget so we literally worked looked at the worst possible houses in the city of spruce grove like one house we went to literally had 16 cats which is maybe why i think they should all fast 16 cats and the owner refused to live leave and he stayed and lived in the basement with the cats and the whole thing just smelled like cat urine but we're like, hey, there's potential. Because you're broke, you see the potential, you know? Like, we looked at the worst possible things. And so, so we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. We're like, God, there's got to be something. And you know what? God gave us a miracle house, a house that was a quick possession that the home builder needed to unload really quickly. And the house, which was a brand new house, uh, was priced $10,000 lower than us buying a dump and renovating something else. It was a complete miracle. Like one, the only catch was the builder didn't know any of the specs that were going in, so we had to close the deal right there because the year end was coming. So they literally had to sign the papers. We didn't know if we were getting hardwood. We didn't know what color the carpet was. We didn't know what color the wall. It was literally just drywall. That was it. But we just, they're like, if you want it, you can take it at this price. I'm like, sold! <laughs> miracle house. So if I believe that God handpicked that place for me and he answered my prayer to put me right in that neighborhood right in that space right in that home that he knew the address before I even asked that he knew the trajectory and the outcome of my life that he would put it there and that he did that in a miraculous manner don't you think that the other thing that he did was miraculously place a beacon of hope in my neighborhood the downside is that beacon of hope is me because I prayed so hard for that breakthrough. Can I tell you? I know you don't like to hear this, but that breakthrough for you is your neighbor's breakthrough. You are the embodiment of your neighbor's breakthrough. It's like, you know when you're looking for a new job? You're like, God, this is what I want. This is what I want to make. This is where I want to work. I want an ideal commute time. And you, you have these expectations. 
and you pray and then nothing's working out and then you get the one interview and it just fits and it feels right and you walk into the office and like there's a corporate culture like man I can wear whatever I want here I like this and you're just like this is just so good and you sit down and you start the job and you get into it you're like God thank you this is the perfect job for me this is the right place at the right time in the right season I'm using my gifts my skills my abilities my talent I'm flourishing guess what I know you don't like your coworkers sitting across from you, but you are the embodiment of their breakthrough. Hope has a name and his name is Jesus, but today you're wearing that name tag. But we're just like, no, 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 God. Like, that's, you don't want, no. This is why, uh, if you're like a charismatic Christian and you believe in the Holy Spirit, which we do, we prefer the moment when we're like really focused on evangelism, when we go to the grocery store, I'm like, okay, God, I'm in the freezer aisle. Today, if there's somebody that you need me to talk to, have them look at the yellow popsicle box in the third <laughs> freezer. And if they touch the yellow popsicle box, I will know that it's a fleece and that you're answering my prayer. It's a sign, the pop, yellow pops, it has to be the, if they touch the blue pops of a box though, I will not speak to them. Lord, it has to be the, and then they touch it, and they're like, okay, here we go, here we go. And you're like, what? You're like, it's like game time, right? Like, okay, 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 Lord. <laughs> and you're like, hey, I just need to let you know, God loves you. <laughs> and you just power away, because like this, bro, I'm reaching my city. God just spoke to me. Pastor Ryan, you'll never believe what happened. They touched the yellow popsicle box. <laughs> what did you do? I told them. God loved them. And I walked away quickly. <laughs> you know why we like that, though? It's because, number one, we feel spiritually good about it, like we're hearing the voice of God. We feel like we're not only hearing the voice of God, but we're acting upon the voice of God. But what we're actually doing, just bear with me for a moment, is using a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge to make ourselves feel good. And we prefer that form of evangelism over, any, if we could call it evangelism, we prefer that type of evangelism over anything else because it lacks one important part. Personal responsibility. Because I don't have to do anything with that person. I just walk away quickly. No, but God, but you don't understand. God spoke to me. No, I get it. But don't you think that if he spoke to you in that manner, that he didn't just want you to walk away quickly? That if he, that maybe the heart of God, you know, the compassionate God who's slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love, don't you think that what he really wanted you to do is like hang out? <laughs> and build a relationship. But sometimes, and this really happens more on the spirit-filled spectrum of church, we like what feels miraculous because it feels good and it feels spiritual, but we really like it because it lacks personal accountability and responsibility. But Jesus called us to make disciples. Right? I know that this word sucks. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's cutting. It's also why we like short-term mission trips. Oh. 
I was just with my friends, and they're like, yeah, we just saw 200 people come to Jesus in Peru. I'm like, bro, that's amazing. When's the last time you led someone to Jesus in Canada? Uh, do you know why you like that so much? No, I don't know. Because you got to leave the country. <laughs> I should stop, but I'm not going to. See, we got to confront the Jonah spirit. There's something in my routine that says I matter more than those people. What if I told you the only way that you could fully unlock the potential that God has placed inside of you is if you actually took personal responsibility, met somebody, evangelized somebody, discipled them, because God created you not to just be a disciple. Did you know that God never anywhere in Scripture called you to be a disciple? After Jesus, after he called the original disciples, he called us to be what? Disciple makers. The command, the final words, Jesus leaving the planet was, go into all the world and make disciples. Original Greek meaning as you go, meaning in your day-to-day -day life, meaning take off the pressure to think that you got to fly somewhere or go to the grocery aisle to make a disciple, to understand that as you go in your everyday life, we are called to make disciples. How do I make disciples? I just be present. I just become friends. Yeah, but if I become friends, like then we got to hang out. That interrupts my routine. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I don't know if you know this, I've hit my friend limit. Like, I don't, like we have a group of eight. And we're good. No, you think you're good. You're settling for second best. There's going to be so many emails this week. Send them. If you think this is good, wait till you get me on email. Uh, <laughs> but why do we care? We take it back to our first love. We care because in Romans 5, verse 6, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. That's why. Because when we were utterly helpless in our mess, you know, he didn't die for the nice Sunday you. Yeah, that's right. He died for the awkward Thursday night you when you were alone. Yeah. Doing things you shouldn't be doing. Thinking things you shouldn't be thinking. That's the you he died for. Not the cleaned up, spiffy, I got my, my Sunday ripped jeans on. Like I, Not that you. Gross you in sweatpants. Yeah. <laughs> on the internet. Watching YouTube videos of home renos lusting after someone else's kitchen. Oh, you thought I was going a different direction. Oh, you thought those two sins were different. They're the same. You creep. Romans 5.10, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still sinners. That's right, while we were still sinners, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. While we were still his enemies, we were his enemies. 
We weren't even like neutral. We were straight enemies. While we were enemies, he died for us. While we were fighting against one another, he died for us. He sacrificed himself not because he liked you, but because he loved you and not because you were on his team and he thought it would be nice if we got to hang out in eternity. But while we were trying to kill him and crucify him, while we were his enemies, he died for us. At just the right time, while we, utter, while we were utterly helpless, he came. That's why, because he did that for me. And if he would do that for me, he can do it for somebody else. And he put me on my block, on my street, in my house, so that I could be near that person and let them know that while they are, might be enemies of God, that he loves them with a never-ending God a love. And he does not want to destroy them. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he doesn't want to destroy them. See, we're like Jonah. Do you know what Jonah did in Jonah 4? He sat on a hill and waited to see if God would light the city on fire. He's like, I like Bible stories. People are so nice. Prophet of God sat on a hill going, you know what? I would prefer God. Enough of this unfailing love. How about you drop some fireballs? That's what he literally sat up on the hill. So God put a plant there because he was bald to shade his head. He's like, oh, this is so nice. Thanks for taking care of my preference. Seating preference while you reign destruction. God, you're a good, good father. Which he sings as he's waiting for people to die. But then God causes the plant to shrivel. And he again says, I wish I was dead. And God again says, is it okay for you to be mad about this? Because you didn't put that plant there. I did. Oh, you thought that was about the plant? No, I'm still talking about your attitude, Jonah. Is it okay for you to be angry about this? No, there's 120,000 people who today tasted the unfailing love, mercy, and grace of a loving Heavenly Father. If you want to know why that was significant, it was because that nation of Assyria that God handpicked and used to take out King Jeroboam II, the king of Israel. If Jonah had done what he always done, prophesied destruction, what they would have done is Israel would have rolled in, conquered the nation, theoretically, and the evil and corruption would have spread. But what God did was save people that his own people hated and thought were vile and nasty and dirty because their hearts were turned toward him and they could be used by him. And he used Assyria to change the nation of Israel. Who do you hate right now? Who would you rather see destroyed? I got a face. I don't know if you got a face popping in my mind. You're like, you, don't, you can't have those things. You're a pastor. No, I'm a human being. I don't like people just like you don't like people. But that face haunts me because I know that that's exactly the person that God wants me to talk to. Because he asked me, is, is it okay for you to be angry about this? Oh, is it possible that the reason you don't like that person is because they're a mirror of you and what you actually don't like is not them, but you don't like is you? 
But guess what? My grace, my mercy, my compassion covers you and it covers them. So how about you just go get them? Is it okay for you to be mad about? No, it's not okay for me to be mad about. Can I, give, can I read you one more passage? Some men were carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. Just to paint the picture, there's a man on a, par- on a mat, and he's paralyzed. It's gurney, cart, whatever you want to picture. You want to put blanket, and they're holding the edges. They traveled a long ways to get to Jesus because these four friends who have a friend who's a paralyzed man say, I need to get this paralyzed man in to get Jesus because if we could get him in front of Jesus, then he can be healed. Now, what you also need to understand is the cultural connotation of the day was that if you, had, you were sick or you had an infirmity, that you were a sinner and you were being punished by God. So these four guys weren't picking up the mat of a guy who was perceived to be a great, kind gentleman. The community perception of this guy was, look how much God is angry at this guy by inflicting these things upon him. Because that's how they viewed sickness. This is why we see often Jesus forgiving sins in the midst of healing people of their sickness. Because they literally viewed in their society... Sickness connected to sin. So if you're vastly sick and paralyzed, guess what? Disgusting sinner. So these four dudes pick up their friend who's a disgusting sinner by society standards and said, you know what? We're going to do anything that we have to do to get this guy to Jesus. They get there. The room is full. Tickets are sold out. People are all around the house. There's, there's crowds pressing in. They can't get anywhere. And without missing a beat, they just looked at each other like, you want to go up? They're like, yeah, let's go up. So just like friends can do where you don't really need to talk. It's just like a look in the eye. You're like, yeah, we're going up. They're like, I'm going up. So they just like go all the way up. And without missing a beat, they're like, hey, you know what we should do is probably just rip a hole in this guy's roof. Again, vandalism, <laughs> destruction of personal property, interrupting a church service with Jesus. Did you know in Canada it's actually a crime to interrupt a church service? If you come in, you can be arrested. It's a federal crime. So these guys are risking a federal crime by art standards to rip open a roof. Like, could you, if someone ripped open a roof, I'd be like, bro, why are you interrupting my preach? <laughs> Just come sit inside. We can't get inside. Don't wreck my roof. They literally start ripping the roof. And can you just imagine just like, just like dust falling as people are like, <laughs> these guys are like, four more blocks. And they're just like ripping. Because how, like, how big of a hole? Like, and then who doesn't stop them? It's a man-sized hole. How big is that hole? They're like, they're like, oh, man, someone put some AC in here. This is a great idea. Whoever did this, this people are sweating on the inside. And then they start with a rope, just like, and then they drop like the one guy that lets it slip. And then, you know, he's like, he's paralyzed anyways. It's fine if he falls. <laughs> Gets him in front of Jesus. Jesus doesn't miss a beat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, this is simple. Seeing the man, he says to the man, which is why this carries significance. Young man, your sins are forgiven. This guy just gets up and walks away. 
And we celebrate that moment, and this is, a, this is an amazing moment, but you know who I think we need to celebrate is the four guys who did anything that they could do to get their friend, who wasn't just their friend, but by society standards was a friend who's a filthy, nasty, gross sinner, to get them in front of Jesus, and they did not let any crowd stop them. They did not let a building stop them. They did anything they could to rip it open, and if they were going to go to jail, they didn't care because it was worth it because if they could just get that guy in front of Jesus, it was worth risking their life. It was worth risking a punishment a crime. Listen, guys, they did not get a ticket in those days. They got stoned in the streets for crimes. We're like, oh, it was probably just a, like a bylaw citation. No, they didn't write tickets. They physically assaulted you in those days. Hey, you know what? It's worth assault on my body to get this person in front of Jesus. Because if I could just get this person in front of Jesus, everything could change. Everything could change. Anything. If I could just get my friend. I wonder how many of us are willing to do anything to get our friend who's an enemy of God, who's utterly helpless in front of Jesus. I want, I mean, what would your neighborhood look like? I think my music problem might get fixed. If I didn't channel most of my energy into strategies to end my neighbor. I wonder what my office culture might look and feel and sound like if I was willing to do anything that I had to do to get somebody in front of Jesus. I guess, you know, what it really comes down to is do I actually trust Jesus enough to do something with my friend? Do I think it's possible? I mean, maybe that's where we should have started. Was do I actually trust that the power of Jesus is enough to change their life? Well, it was enough to change yours, wasn't it? Yeah. You're sitting here. And let's be honest, I'm hoping you're not sitting here. <laughs> if God isn't doing something crazy in you. Because if you're coming here out of routine, you could probably just stay home. Because yeah. if you're here out of obligation, please don't come. Yeah. Sorry, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> you can commute to Spruce Grove. No, but... Like, why, right? Because if, if, if there's no power, if there's no relationship, if there's no, if there's no life change, if, if God isn't doing something deeply inside of me, why am I still here? If, if I don't love him with an everlasting love in the same way that he loves me because he loved me first, then why do I keep showing up? If I don't believe that anything is possible when I step in here, why do I even come? If I don't believe that I'm going to encounter the Most High God in not just a personal, private way, but in a corporate manner, which is entirely different than me sitting in a room with worship music in a corner. Why do I show up if I don't believe that if I brought somebody into these room, into this room and sat them in one of these chairs, that the power of God could grip their heart and turn them around? Why on earth do I even show up here on a Sunday? Friends, I want to tell you, our church is six years old. And... You guys are about two and a quarter, two and a half. At this stage in our church development, we were sitting with a staggering crowd of about 61. 
But when we started the church, I made the decision that it didn't matter what I preached on and what we were doing, that every single Sunday I would give an opportunity for people to accept Jesus into their life. Every single Sunday. I did that every single Sunday for the first four years of our church. And I can count on one hand the number of decisions that were made. This year alone, we're already at over 100. This year alone. In the last two years, we're already over 300. Over 60% of those who stay. Part of that's the power of our team. Because every single Sunday, I stood in front of people, and I knew every single person in the room. But I, I said, you know what? We're gonna create an expectation together that when somebody comes in here, they're about to get saved. That somebody can meet Jesus. So every single Sunday, whether somebody put up their hand or not, I, didn't, I think people thought I was crazy. Until it started happening, and it was one, then it was two, then it was three, then it was four. We had a Sunday where we had 20. I had a Sunday where four people made a decision to follow Jesus when I preached about tithing. That's revival. People don't get saved when you preach about tithing. They leave. Now they got saved. Why? Because we're just crazy enough to believe in a God who can change and transform lives from the inside out. And we know that because I am the living evidence and you are the living evidence and your story is God's story at work. And we're not perfect and we're not, then we don't all have it all together. But what we do have is a faith in God that knows day by day by day by day by day by day, he's transforming us more and more to look like him. Here's three things that we can do. We have a thing called church called For Monday. So I'm going to give you three practical things that you can do to apply all this random stuff that I just said to you today. And I know it's a little scattered, but I just felt like we just had to hit a bunch of random things. First thing that we can do, ask ourselves every single day. I want you to just put this into your routine. When you get that emotional response of like, ah, first thing we do is, is it okay for me to be mad about this? Is it okay for me to be mad about this? We can do that in our everyday life and on little things, but I also want you to think about this on a church level. We're just going to be real. James did not sing Glorious Day, and it's been in my head all week, and I thought that that meant that the Holy Spirit was talking to me, and James didn't do it. Is it okay for me to be mad about this? No. Well, James isn't hearing from the Holy Spirit. No. You think more highly of yourself than you ought. That's the book of Romans too, by the way. Second thing we can do, we remind ourselves. We follow Jesus one step at a time. We make our lives really simple. Two years ago, we threw out our entire vision statement for our church. We got rid of vision statements, mission statements, everything that you're supposed to have as a church, we just got rid of them all. We went to this phrase, we follow Jesus one step at a time. It's, it's based out of Psalm 37. 
The Lord directs the steps of the godly, and he delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. I'm going to stumble, but I'm not going to fall, because the righteous hand of the Lord will carry me, and he will sustain me. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. I'm worrying about today. I don't have to worry about the next step or the next season. I'm just following Jesus one step at a time, one step at a time, one step at a time. We get in trouble when we start trying to make things happen. We find life and success and hope when we recalibrate and like the king of Nineveh slip off the throne and we follow Jesus one step at a time. The most significant miracle I think in Nineveh is the king slipped off his throne. Today, I think the most significant miracle that could happen in this room is if each of us slipped off the throne of our lives. Third thing we can do, calibrate ourselves. Not, I have to do this. I get to do this. I get to do this. Hey, I'm a part of building a life-changing church that is reaching people. Bro, how many salvations did you have last year? Five. Okay, well, I thought you were building a life-changing church. Yeah, five lives changed. And God says, don't despise this day of small beginnings. And we're laying a groundwork by following him one step at a time, and we are working on our hearts to create an environment that is welcoming where life transformation can happen. So as long as I calibrate myself and go, I'm not mad about the lights or the pipe and drape. I'm not mad about the coffee cart. I'm not mad. I'm just, I don't know. I'm not mad about those things. I'm honored to get to do these things because I know that my effort has an eternal reward when lives get saved. And I might not be seeing it yet, but I'm putting down some roots in a bamboo tree. We're going deep before we go tall. I get to do this. Is it okay for me to be mad about this? I follow Jesus one step at a time, and I get to do this. I get to do this. I get to do this. Can we all stand together? Can we all stand? I just want to do something because I have to honor my commitment to the Lord. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this place? If there's somebody here, and you have never made a personal decision to follow Jesus, can I tell you that today is your time, that this is your moment, you're at the right place, at the right time. And though I might not have been speaking directly to you or it feels like that maybe I wasn't, but the truth is there's something inside of you that's like, you know what, that is where I want to be. I want to be in the midst of a people, in a place where I can feel love and understand the unfailing mercy and grace of God. I want to be in a place where I can be a part of the family. I don't need my life to get changed. You're here today and there's something going on inside of you. You might even feel like you're palms are getting sweaty or your heart's racing a little bit. You're like, what's going on? I don't even know what's happening right now. Can I tell you, friend, that's just Jesus himself tapping you on the shoulder, just saying, I'm here right now and I'm here for you. So if you're here today and you've never made a decision personally to follow Jesus, come on, can I tell you, this isn't your mom's faith. This isn't your wife's faith or your spouse's faith. It's not your grandparents' faith. Jesus wants to have a personal, one-on-one relationship with you, and he wants to walk through life with you, which is how we know that we can walk with Jesus one step at a time. Living alone and afraid. Hey, yea, they'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'll fear no evil. I fear no evil because Jesus is with me. So you might be here today and you say, hey, every head bowed, every eye closed in this place. If you're here and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, you might not know all of what that means. You just know that you just need this in your life, that you want to be forgiven and you want to find freedom.
This is your time. This is your moment. I'm going to count down from three. When I get down to one, you give me a quick wave. But as I'm counting, every person that's in this room right now is going to be praying for you. Every person that's made the same decision that you're about to make is praying for you. And you might think, I'm the only one that hasn't happened in a long time. No, there's people in this room. It was like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, four weeks ago. They made the same decision that you're about to make. And they're praying for you right now. So if you want to accept Jesus into your life, you want to follow him one step at a time. You want to find family and hope and life and forgiveness and grace and mercy and love give me a quick wave in three two one just quick wave quick wave quick wave quick wave quick wave thank you quick wave quick wave quick wave quick wave amen amen hey we're going to pray this prayer together i want you to repeat this after me out loud we say it loud and we say it proud say dear jesus i need you i need you i need you come on this row is saying it, but I don't think anyone else is saying it. We're going to start this salvation prayer again. Say, Dear Jesus, I need you now more than ever. So I give you everything. My wins, my losses, my sins, and my successes. Jesus, it's all yours. From this moment forward, I'm following you. Jesus, be large and in charge in my life. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> and in your name I pray. Amen. Hey, can we give a big round of applause for those who prayed that prayer for the very first time? Come on, let's put our hands together. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.